Good evening. It's good to be back with you this evening, and I uh, hope you had a wonderful day, uh, ready to worship again this evening. Brother Leon had informed me that you folks had communion on Sunday, and usually we think that when you have communion, then you're, you should be revived, right? So... Uh, I pray that is the case. And I am okay. If when I preach and the Spirit speaks, you can say amen and you're fine. You're at peace with God. I remember as a young fella sitting up front here, there were many times I couldn't, I couldn't sit at peace whenever an invitation was sung. Uh, sometimes I would shake. I just couldn't go forward. And I remember one time, Sunday morning, the minister gave an invitation and I couldn't, I just, I wasn't at peace and I couldn't go forward. And so I told the Lord during the day that if my preacher comes and talks to me tonight at the service, I will say something to him. He come right back, he shook my hand and I did not do anything. And uh, it wasn't until sometime later. But I remember... The first time I could sit through an invitation hymn, and I felt good. I felt at peace, and I began to pray for other people. Uh, I remember that distinctly. This evening I'd like to speak on a subject that is very basic to our Christian life. Um, I think most of us have heard this message. Well, I think it's good sometimes to be refreshed again. I actually had another message started and it just didn't go, and so I came to this one. I invite you to John chapter 3. <coughs> John chapter 3, and it's taken, and the title's taken from verse 7. It's very familiar. Verse 7 says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. You must. Sometimes we don't like to hear when somebody tells us we must do something. Uh, but there are many musts in life. One of those is we must be born again. Must means it is necessary, it is binding. Uh, you must stop at a red traffic light. There are some who don't, and there are consequences. Uh, you must stop at a, railroad, uh, at a railroad crossing. Just this week, I saw a picture of a SUV that didn't stop at a uh, railroad crossing. It wasn't pretty. You must have a license to drive. You must breathe to live. You must eat to live. Maybe some boys don't like this, but you must wash your hands before supper. You must study to get good grades. Most of us need to do that. Some people don't have to study so hard, but we must study. John the Baptist said, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Another time it says about Jesus, it says He must needs go through Samaria. It was necessary. God had a plan for Him that He needed to go through Samaria. Then after He was there, and He got to talking about worship, and He said, they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. If you want worship... Worship with Almighty God, it must be in spirit and in truth. Jesus had some musts in his life. One of those, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me. In other words, I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what my Father wants me to do. It's a must. Jesus also said in John 10 that I must bring other sheep. 
And I believe he was talking about other than Jewish people. I'm glad he had that must so that I can be brought in to the fold. Another time Jesus said, for ye, for our, excuse, it talks about him and Jesus and his disciples. It says, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise from the dead. It was necessary. It must happen. Can you imagine what this world would be like today if he didn't? I just got an email. Uh, just checked it this morning. It has a picture of the em empty tomb. He's risen. He's not there. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks here. One night, Paul and Silas had a hymn sing in the middle of the night in some very unfavorable circumstances. And you know the story, there was an earthquake and the jailer was going to kill himself, but they said, don't, we're all here. And then it says, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew there was something he had to do. What must he do? Must is not an option. We can consider it an option, but it is not an option. Well, let's look here at uh, John chapter 3. I would like to read the uh, first 21 verses here. Those who can comfortably, I invite you to stand for the reading. Uh, in prison, whenever we have services, it's almost disrespectful to sit while the scripture is being read. I don't think it is that way, but I don't know, it just does something to stand and have the scripture read. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life altogether. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. You may be seated. Ye must be born again. To a Pharisee, this was these were strange words. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was well taught in the 
the Old Testament scriptures. He, uh, yeah, he was a Pharisee. He was a, one of the rulers. But he came to Jesus by night because he was afraid. He was afraid of what, the, what might happen to him. He was afraid of what the other people thought. He's afraid of, he had peer pressure. Any of us have peer pressure? You ever feel peer pressure? Well, he felt that. And he came in by night and he told him, I want to talk to Jesus. And he says, you're a teacher. Come from God. We know that you are because of the miracles that you do. Jesus said, well, you must be born again. Nicodemus, what? Do I have to enter the second time in my mother's womb and be born? That's impossible. And I don't know how you would have felt if you'd have been Nicodemus. But Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he says, you must be born again. It is necessary. It is a must that you're born again. Nicodemus says, how can this be? He just couldn't comprehend it. And then Jesus said to him, are you a teacher? A master in Israel? Are you one of the top ones? And you don't know what I'm talking about? And then he begins to explain it more. In order to see the kingdom of God, we must be born again. Born again has the idea of born anew. Born from above. You see, something tragic happened when Adam and Eve sinned. There was something terrible happened. And I don't think we can understand it, the difference that it made because they had perfect communion with God. They were in a beautiful garden. They had fellowship with God. There was nothing between them. My boss at work just texted me. And he said he just let one of the workers go today. And it made me feel real yucky inside. Because I know the struggle we've had and the tension that was there when that worker was at work. I know some of the what was going on there. And it makes me feel bad. In the Garden of Eden, there was none of that. Not between Adam and Eve. And not between them and God. Adam and Eve, I don't believe they ever had an argument before. Can you believe that? They probably even thought alike. Can you believe that? They had communion with God. But when they sinned, something tragic happened. There was a death. There was a spiritual death. Now they didn't die right away. And... The serpent was trying to convince them that they won't die. He could have even come to them later and said, see, you didn't die. I bet you they would have said, we did too. There's something dreadful happened. And now this, the center of creation, the pinnacle of creation, had chosen to disobey the enemy of the Creator. And now, there's not just Angels, you have the Satan and God, and you have angels on both sides. Now you have created beings on both sides. You have two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms, there's only two. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And we are at in one of those kingdoms. Sometimes. Sometimes we feel like, you know, I didn't choose to have a fallen nature. And that is probably true. But we all chose to sin. A number of years ago when I was in school, we went to a Christian day school. And this was been in, uh, trying to think, right? And it's in the 70s. And... Women's Lib was really getting cranking it up then. One of the teachers 
saw during his class, there was a boy writing on the bulletin board on the side of the room there. And so after class, he went back to see what he wrote. And this was a bulletin board that said, where would we be without women? And the boy wrote, in the Garden of Eden. We'd like to blame it on them, but I'm sure each one of us, we'd have probably done the same thing. We've all chosen to sin and we've all chosen the kingdom that we're in tonight. We are all in a kingdom tonight, one or the other. And we've chosen that kingdom. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A number of years ago, I was uh, asked to be coordinator at uh, Penn Valley Christian Retreat's missions seminar. And we decided on Saturday afternoon when it's usually there's free time to take everyone out in this in town and go door to door. And one of the questions we're going to ask everybody is, how is it between you and God? And we got some varied responses. One place we walked up to, knocked on the door, there's an old van sitting there. It said Pennsylvania Wild Man on the front. And when we knocked on the door, a Pennsylvania wild man came. And we asked him how, how it is between him and God. He said, just fine. Wham! The door went shut. But there's another lady that her response still sticks to my, in my mind. said, how is it between you and God? It is good. I was born in the church. I was carried to church. I was confirmed in the church. Yeah, but how is it between you and God? And she kept going back there. So that time when she was a little child and she was baptized as an infant and she was confirmed and she was born in, she was raised in it. Well, that is a blessing. I never want to, want to downplay it at all. It is a blessing to be born and raised in a Christian home. But there comes a point in time where we have to make our own decisions which kingdom we're going to be in. We do not inherit new birth from our parents. We inherit other things. Even some pretty strong traits come out. Talked about my little granddaughter last night. There she has some king traits and some Burkholder traits. And some Hoover traits. And they come pretty, through pretty strong. But we do not automatically, through our parents, inherit eternal life. Obeying church rules, church membership, doesn't give new birth. Sad to say, I've seen and known of Christ people who were not Christians dressed as Mennonites, probably Amish as well. Doing good will not bring new birth. I work with an organization back in Pennsylvania, Yoke Fellowship Prison Ministry. And there was a volunteer going into one of the prisons under Yoke Fellowship for 15, either 13 or 15 years. And he all of a sudden realized these men that he's ministering to has something that he doesn't have. He never surrendered to Jesus Christ. So he surrendered to Jesus Christ, and that's probably been a dozen or more years ago. And he's a changed man. He was in the church. He supported the church. He, but he never made his own decision to follow Jesus Christ. We each must be born again. We must transfer from one kingdom to another. There's a battle goes, there's, there's a battle rages for the souls of men and women. And it's all different. I believe all of our experiences are different. Some people, it's black and white. One man in prison 
he was, he's been, he was a Muslim for many years. And he spent, I think, 11 years in solitary confinement. And he was a gang leader and he was a wicked man. And one day he came to chapel with his Quran and he asked to exchange it for a Bible. And he's changed. He has growing to do, but he's changed. He's not the same. And then there's some that there is not that big of a change. And there's, we come to a realization that I'm a sinner and we accept Christ. It's not all the same. I don't believe there's a cut and dry thing how, how it happens. I know how I, it happened to me. I was 11 years old. I spent 65 days in the hospital. Somebody gave, us, gave me a preaching tape and I listened to that. At the end, they gave an invitation and that's where I gave my life to the Lord. But I had a problem. I didn't grow after that. I was like a newborn baby that was born that never grew. And what's going to happen if nothing happens? It's going to die. I don't know what time, when it happened, but I know when I was 16, I was no longer a Christian. And I feel I was at 11 years old. And I battle raged for a number of years till I finally surrendered. I have a cousin who I grew up with. We went, when we rode the bus to school, we sat in the same seat every day. We were close friends. Until I got about 15, 14, 15 years old. He became a Christian at 10 years old, and he always stayed faithful. I went, pew. And we, we couldn't connect anymore. And I often thought in later years, the last number of years, the wasted, the time I wasted giving to the devil. And there's, there's, there's things in my life that I'd like to forget completely. But it's there. It's forgiven. I know I'm living a victorious life. But there are things there. There's, there's th just marks of serving the devil. He doesn't have that. And right now he's my bishop. Uh, we work together. But we must each be born again. We must transfer from one kingdom to another. We must surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36. I'd like to begin reading at verse 24. I realize he's, he's, in a way there, part of it, he's speaking about the nation of Israel, but I can believe it can, be a, it can apply to our lives today. Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Stop reading there. Remember I said that something happened in the Garden of Eden? Here he's talking about restoring that. Something died inside Adam and Eve. Their spirit died. Their connection with God died. Now he says, I want to I put a new heart in you. And... Sometimes we're like Nicodemus. We struggle to comprehend this. And I, I don't think we can completely, I know we can't completely understand it all. But we need to accept by faith that if we surrender to Him, what He does is good. He will give us a new heart. He says, a new heart will I give you, a new spirit. And a heart directs the life. A heart guides the life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The, heart is or the life is directed by the heart. What's in your heart will come out. What's in my heart will come out. 
And if we have a new heart, we have power to live the victorious life. The power to say no to temptation. The power to say no. When that picture comes up, to click it off. To avoid the place in the convenience store where we shouldn't go. To say no to whatever temptation there is. We receive the power to live in obedience to the King of Kings. We have a new director there. We have a new power within. We have God in our lives. He will take away the uncleanness, the sin, and He will give us a new heart. Well, we said you must be born again. What does that mean? What does it actually mean to be born again? We already said it's not... You have a new birthday as far as your life is concerned, but I do know men in prison that have a birthday. And they will tell you on a day, today I'm four years old. And you look at them, but I'm going to tell you something, it's life or death. They know when the day they did it. They don't all know, all know that, but there's some to do. So what does it mean to be born again? Well, I have four points that I'd like to share with us. And if you really look at the new birth, in a way it's simple. You surrender your life to Jesus Christ and He takes away your sin. But if we were to explain every part of it, we'd be here a while. And tonight I don't have a clock. I don't even have a clock that's not working, so I'll try to get you out in time. But the first one I have is, you must believe. Let's look at John chapter 3 again, verses 16 and 18. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth, that's the condition there, you believe. You believe what He has done for you, what Christ did for you in Calvary. If you surrender to Him, He will take your sins away. Verse 18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God does not force it on any of us. He gives out the invitation. He says, this is what I'll do. I'll give you a new heart. But you must believe that I can do that. A person realizes his only hope of salvation is Christ. Then he acts on that belief. It causes us to do something. It causes us to reach out. He, he gives it to us. He offers it to us. But faith means, yes, I believe, and gets a hold of it for yourself. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The power of God is, to, is for, uh, to, to salvation for everyone that believes. How do you think God feels? Whenever He gave His only begotten Son, He watched Him suffer. He watched His creation reject Him. Spit on Him. Turn their back on Him. He did and left His Son do all that so that he could offer eternal life and we refuse to believe. I think it has to be excruciating. It has to be, it has to, well, I wouldn't have the patience that God has with people. I wouldn't have the patience with me that God has with me. But it's there, it's offered, and we need to reach out in faith and say, yes, I believe. The righteous shall live by faith. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Hebrews 11.6 says, For without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. One of the... Uh, there's a man that's involved in the prison ministry where I'm involved in. He was an atheist in college, and he became a Christian. And he said, you would think 
that being an atheist is the most joyful way to live. Because you don't have to give an account to everybody. You can do whatever you want. But one of the things he said, there was no joy. There was no joy. Who are you going to thank? Who are you going to thank for your blessings? Who are you going to turn to? We must believe. Have I ever seen God? No. I've never seen Him with my eyes. But I've felt Him. I've experienced Him. He's touched me. And by faith, we can do that. Jesus is the only answer to the sin problem. It's not doing better. I tried that for a number of years. Just do better. Just try to do better. It is a believing that moves to action. You must be, believe. You must stand up. You must say, Jesus is the only way to salvation. Second one is you must repent. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And the first one, you must believe. We're believing on the work that he, Christ has done for us to make our salvation possible. Second one is we need to repent. This is on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached. The people were smitten. Um, 37. Now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They knew they needed to do something. They had to do something. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent. <coughs> so what does repent mean? If you had to explain it, what does repent mean? Well, I understand it as to think differently, to change your view, to agree with God. See, God says, the soul that sinneth it shall die. God says, sin is you're transgressing my law. Sin means there's no hope. There's no eternal life. And we don't believe we're doing our own thing. We refuse to believe what he says is true. We finally get to the place where we believe, and so we're saying we change our mind about sin. God never changes his mind about sin. We change our mind. We think differently. We agree with God. It's a sorrowful sin to the point of changing one's mind about it. True repentance does not enjoy sin. You know, part of the struggle I had in my youth was I wanted victory, but I still enjoyed some of it. It's impossible to have victory. Someone who repents is remorseful. You know, I've sinned against God. Chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Repent. Think differently. Turn around. Go the other way. When Paul was speaking at Athens, remember they had the, 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 the altar to the unknown God. And they were tried to, trying to appease many gods. And he said, this is the God I'm talking about. This one, this altar you have to the unknown God. That's who I'm telling you about. And he says, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. There's a day coming when we're all going to stand before God. And our sins are going to be there, unless we've taken care of them beforehand. Don't wait till that time. There are many people who. I've known of men who have vowed a vow 
basically to the devil that they don't ever want to get found out. Some of them eventually have victory and some of them don't. But it is terrible to go to sleep, to, to go to God, to die with that on your mind. I know of a man who, no other man, I never knew him, but on his deathbed, he confessed that many years before, on a Sunday afternoon, him and another young boy from the church were swimming and the other boy drowned. And on his deathbed, he confessed that he, he drowned him because he wanted the girl that that man had, that boy had. He kept it still all his life. But on his deathbed, he couldn't handle it anymore. Some people have time to do that. We don't all have time. But we need to do something with this. Because God says we're sinners. And He's also said, I provided a way. So here's the way and here's our sin. And we have to do something with both of those. John the Baptist, when he came on the earth, his message was repent. Jesus said repent. Peter said repent. Paul said repent. The message is still the same today. In 2014, repent. You must repent. Then there needs to be evidence of that. There needs to be evidence of You can say, I can say I repent. But what's the evidence of that? Let's go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Here's John the Baptist preaching repentance. Did I say John? Luke. Luke chapter 3 verse 7. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring, <coughs> excuse me. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. I just want to stop there a little bit. They were saying, We were born Jews. We're okay. He says, God's able to make children of Abraham from stones. You need more than that. Bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. Um, verse 9. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that bringeth not forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people ask him, saying, What shall we do? In other words, where's the evidence that you've repented? And he answered unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. They were used to cheating. And he says, if you repent, you're going to stop cheating. If you repent, you're going to act like Christ. Verse 14, And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. You repent. What's the evidence that we repent? What's the evidence? What would he say today? You in your situation, me in my situation. What's the evidence of repentance? How can it be seen in our lives? There needs to be a change. We think differently. You know, if that happens and we repent, it doesn't matter if somebody's around or if no one's around. We're going to live the same way. We can have our cell phone, we can have our computers, we can have whatever... We can be by ourselves. But if we've repented, we're not going to do what we used to do because we've repented. Repentance should be seen in, every, in everyday life. Repentance will not brag about sin. It's a little troubling whenever we begin to brag about what we used to do before Christ. If we brag about it, I don't know what the issues are in this part of the country, but in our part of the country, when I was growing up, one of the things was running away from the cops. 
This thing was cool to run away from the cops. I tell you what, if we brag about that, I question whether we repented like we should have. In order to live in victory, we must hate sin. I had an uncle, I have an uncle, who started smoking when he was 16. And he smoked when he was 76. I'm trying to think, he's 81 or 82 now. I never thought he'd live that long. But he lived right beside us, and I talked to him about it. He said, yeah, I know. He said, he said, I like it. He said, pray that God takes away the desire. And he wasn't lying. His wife didn't want him to smoke in the house. And, and he would go to church, but he had to hurry up and go home. He didn't want to go visit anyone because he had to go out to the garage. I went over one time to, to uh, borrow his tractor, and he didn't know I was around. And I walked in, and he yelled at me. Sorry. He tried a number of times to quit smoking, but he kept a pack of cigarettes in his pickup just in case he might need them. What? You know what happened. Well, when he was 76 years old, he ended up in the hospital in oxygen. And something happened. I know you can say, well, it was a deathbed experience. I don't know. But he has not had a desire. He doesn't. He hasn't smoked since. And his testimony was, I feel clean. He took his shirt and he went, I feel clean. And he hates it. And he tells people his story. But he didn't have victory until he hated it. That's my testimony as well. We must think differently. We must repent. Third one is, we must confess. Romans 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confess is to verbally agree with God. Webster says to tell one's sins to God to admit fault or crime. Repenting is thinking differently. Confessing is saying you do. You now think differently. We agree that what God says is true. I knew a man in prison. He spent 19 years in prison and he was not guilty of the crime. And, but they would have released him a long time before if he would have signed that he was guilty. But he refused. He said, I never did commit the sin. There are others who are guilty and refuse to sign. Or they, 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 they refuse to admit guilt. Confession is looking at the situation. We believe that we're sinners and that God made a way for us to be saved. We begin to think differently. We repent. We don't want to do it anymore. Then we tell God and others that we agree with them. We acknowledge that we are guilty as charged. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we confess, we agree that what God says about us is true. We agree that what we did, we have done is sin. We are guilty as charged. We read the Bible. I'm guilty. I've done that. James 5 tells us to confess our faults one to another. And that's difficult sometimes. Depends on the sin, depends on the situation. It's difficult. It's probably always, in a way it's always difficult to say I was wrong. How many of you like to say I was wrong? I'm wrong. I didn't think right. Well, I understand the way I understand the new birth. In order to be born again, we must say, I was wrong. God, you're right. I'm wrong. 
What I did was wrong. This is what I did and it's wrong. Please forgive me. There was a Baptist pastor, it's no reflection on Baptist, but it was a Baptist pastor that uh, was in our area. And we actually had asked him to help our son. And we had one visit and there was, we, we knew there was something not right. We didn't feel right about it. We didn't feel good about it. Well, it wasn't too long later, maybe a year or so later, it came out in the news that he was in jail because he had molested his foster daughter, 14, 16 years old. Well, he was well known in the area. He had to build a church. They had a school. They had worked with young people. And this was a, this was a, a blemish on the church community. Well, he was sentenced a couple months ago. And at his sentencing, he says, said this. He said, this is not a reflection of my character. It is an aberration of my character. Did he repent? He's saying, this is not what I'm really like. It's just, I strayed over here. Well, what did he do? He sinned. I think it would have been more, people would have accepted if he said, you know, I'm wrong. I sin. I'll take whatever, whatever sentence I get because I'm guilty. Let's look at what uh, David said in Psalm 51. I don't think David would, would have said what he did was an aberration of his character. Psalm 51, beginning at verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaken, shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones that thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my, mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Drop down to verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You can, you can just sense whenever David is writing here that, you know, I've sinned. God, I sinned against you. And God, I don't have joy. And it's every day, it's before my face. It was probably a year from the time that David's sin was committed until it was come out. Maybe more than a year. And you know what? He thought about it every day. The same uncle I talked about. He lived a loose life for a while. And there was a child born. But he denied it. He denied it. He denied it. But when this girl turned 19, she began to look for her dad. And she found him. And he went and called all the nieces and nephews and his brothers and sisters and their spies. He got everybody together and he said, I just want you to know that I'm guilty. He says, I've thought about it every day. And I remember him, he would be, he'd be sitting in the, with grandma or he'd be sitting somewhere and he would just deeply sigh for no apparent reason. And just over and over, I remember, I remember that distinctly. You know what? His sin was always before him. He thought about it every day. And finally he got it out. He said, I don't care who knows. You can tell anybody. He says, I'm confessing it. Hin sin, unconfessed sin will destroy life. And it's just, it's not worth it. 
to try to cover up. Now, I know there's some situations, something that don't need to be confessed publicly. Sometimes it can be taken care of. I want to tell you something. I believe when we have sin in our lives and we confess it publicly, it drives a stake in. It says, I'm going to do different. I have sinned and I need your prayers. One more, two more verses in uh, Proverbs 28 concerning this. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. You know, if we guard a place in our hearts of hidden sin, it makes a place where Satan can work. He can attack us from within. Not just from without. Fourth point. You must be born again. The fourth point is you must obey. This is what happens when we become born again. We don't obey to be born again. Well, we do obey when we, we, we agree to confess and agree to believe and we agree to repent. But... There's evidence. There's a reason. There's something we want to do. Let's go to John 14. John chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And as we get into the Word, and as we follow close to, closely to Christ, the closer to the light we get, the more His light shines on our lives. And every once in a while we'll say, wow, God, I'm guilty. So you confess that sin and then you have peace. At least this has been my experience. I had a terrible problem with lying. And when I rededicated my life to the Lord, I the Lord would bring certain lies to my mind and I'd go make it right and I'd write a letter to this school teacher and, and I think uh, I was fine. And after a bit, something else would come. And after a bit, you wonder, how much restitution do I really have to do? But I want to tell you what, it's worth it. If you keep doing that, you'll get to the place where you're free. Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them he that is he that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. As we move forward in obedience, he will reveal himself to us. And as we re move forward in obedience, he will lead us to where he wants us to be. 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is my, not mine, but the Father which sent me. A truly repentant heart will want to obey God. Will want to do His will. We must deny self and take up our cross and follow God. Let's look at chapter 15 of of John here, verses 8 through 10. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the, <coughs> as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see the growth there. We love him, we obey him, we want to please him. And then He shows us more. And we move forward and He leads us. The key to abiding is fruit bearing. We need to bear fruit. We need to obey. Once saved, stay the course. Keep on. We, uh, at least in our... I would imagine that you believe the same here as we do up there, that 
We become Christians. We were born again. We confess our sins. We're the child of God. We can't fall from grace, but we can walk away from it. We can turn our back on God. And one of the one of the concerns I have is, well, this lady that I talked about that said she was raised, she was baptized as a child, she was confirmed. Sometimes we have that, yeah, back when I was 14 or back when I was 16, I accept the Lord. And I praise God for that. I'm not diminishing that. But we need to have a testimony of what God did last week. And this week, that we're walking with God. He's leading us. Yeah, you might not every week have something real splashy to talk about, but you can talk about Jesus, can't you? What He's done for you. He's leading us along. Once saved, stay the course. Don't give up. Don't turn back. You must. You must be born again. And being born again is you must believe. You believe what God says is true. You believe that He is able to do what He said He'd do. You believe that His provisions are adequate for your salvation. You also believe that you need it. That I need it. We must repent. That means we change our mind. We turn. We hate sin. We must confess. We verbalize. You know, I agree with you, God. I am guilty as charged. And then we obey. We walk by faith. And as He leads us, we become cleansed. It's called sanctification day by day. So I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I want to be, but I'm walking with Jesus. He's taking me on. And someday, we're going to have new bodies. Someday, we're not going to be tempted by those magazines, that computer, that whatever. Let's go to Psalm 103. You know, whenever we're born again by the power of God, he does a thorough job of taking care of our sins. If we do a thorough job of repenting and confessing. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not, not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father prettieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. That knoweth our frame there is, He understands our constitution, what we're made of. And He's able to help us. He's able to minister to us. So tonight, we're in one camp or the other. Either we must be born again, or we must have been born again. We must be born again, or we have been born. I'd like to close with a words to a song. It's called, God Be Merciful to Me. Listen to the words. God be merciful to me. On thy grace I rest my plea. Plenteous in compassion thou, blot out my transgressions now. Wash me, make me pure within, cleanse, O oh, cleanse me from my sin. My transgressions now I confess, grief and guilt my soul oppress. I have sinned against thy grace, and provoked thee to thy face. I confess thy judgment just, speechless I thy mercy trust. I am evil, born in sin, thou desirest truth within. Thou alone my Savior art. Teach thy wisdom to my heart. Make me pure, thy grace bestow. Wash me whiter than the snow. Broken, humble to the dust. By thy wrath and judgment just. Let, me contrite, let my contrite heart rejoice. And in gladness bear thy voice. Hear thy voice. From my sins, O hide thy face. Blot them out in boundless grace. Gracious God, my heart renew. 
Make my spirit right and true. Cast me not away from thee. Let thy spirit dwell in me. Thy salvation's joy impart. Steadfast make my willing heart. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we come before you this evening thanking you for the privilege of being your children. Father, we're so thankful that Jesus came and shed his